Thank you all for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, I just want to say from the very beginning, um, you know, there's a lot of things to to look at, different aspects of expository preaching. Uh, there are countless books on expository preaching, and maybe some of those we'll, we'll try to, to talk about today or at least um, give you some titles, some authors. So there's, there's no shortage of, of resources out there for expository preaching. So um, looking at what we could go over today, trying to wrestle with what would be beneficial for us, uh, the things that um, are helpful for me. Because here's the thing, regardless of, of how much training we have or we don't have, the things that we're going over today are the things that I'm still trying to work on, I'm still trying to grow in. I want to grow in my preaching and keep growing in my preaching. And so uh, I don't want anyone to think, uh, by all means, that, that I'm up here trying to tell everyone how they ought to do as if I have it figured out, because I sure don't. And sometimes uh, one, of, one of the best things that you can do after you get done preaching, and, and maybe the, it's uh, posted somewhere or made available to you, is to go back and, and listen to yourself to figure out, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Or maybe I should have elaborated more on that. So it's always a good learning thing. So the things I thought uh, would hopefully be beneficial to us today, at least in our first session, would be to really define what expository preaching is. There's a lot of uh, misunderstandings about what expository preaching is. Um, I have uh, folks that, that I know and that I love um, they, they've talked about how their pastor does expository preaching, and then you go and you listen to a sermon, and you're like, that's not really what it is. So let's, let's define what it, what it actually is, expository preaching. And then on our next session, um, I wanted to maybe look at some of the reasons why our sermons fail and look at a number of different things there. And then our last session, um, I took a, a sermon that I had just preached last Sunday at our church, and brought in my sermon notes, brought in the, the notes that I have of all the prep and everything that I did. And so maybe we can talk about that, work through it, just to give an idea. And you may have a, a way that you uh, prepare your sermons and all of that, but maybe we could just walk through it just to give a, uh, another idea, perhaps, of, of some of the process of, of working through a sermon or working through a text and preparing it to preach. So in our first session, defining expository preaching, there's a number of different men that I have here, uh, their quotes of what expository preaching is, uh, defining it for us. And these notes, by the way, if you'd like to have the, uh, these notes, <clears throat> some of them are notes that I, had, that I had written up. Others are notes that Dr. Lawson had given us while we were in class or from Alex Montoya, who was also in class lecturing to us. If you'd like to have these, and by all means, just let us know, and, and we'll be sure to email them to you. But defining expository preaching, here's what Dr. MacArthur says. He says, the message finds its sole source in Scripture. The message is extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis. The message preparation correctly interprets Scripture in its normal sense and in its context. The message clearly explains the original God-intended meaning of Scripture. The message applies to the scriptural meaning for today. Looking at expository preaching, you have expository, which is the adjective. You have preaching, which is the noun. Dr. Lawson says 
that expository is the adjective. It's an explanation or a commentary, the setting forth of the meaning of something. Its substance and content is, is based on what God means by what God says. That's what we're talking about, expository. We're looking at the passage of Scripture, and we're wanting to get the God-intended meaning of this passage. We want to look at the context. We want to, we want to dig into the words. We want to look at the syntax, the relationship of words to each other. We want to understand the whole of the book. What is the author saying throughout the entirety of the book? What did he say previous here to lead to this statement right here? We want to look at everything. He goes on to say, by, it, by itself, it is nothing more than lecturing, accompanied, no, nothing more than lecturing. Accompanying with preaching, it comes with passion going beyond the exposition. It starts with the text, stays with the text to the end, giving, God, the, giving the God-given meaning of the passage and its application to the listeners. Dr. MacArthur would say, and you probably heard him say this or heard someone quoting him to say this, that the meaning of the text is the text. Right? The meaning of the text is the text. I'm not going to look at a passage of Scripture, and this is where you have contrasting expository preaching with other forms of preaching. I'm not going to look at this passage of Scripture and then put my own subjective feelings into it, my own subjective ideas into it, in order to come up with whatever it is that I have an agenda for that day. I want to know what the author intended. And we'll look at why, why that's so important. But then you have preaching. Preaching is, is the noun. It goes beyond the teaching itself. You start with the exposition. You start with the God-intended meaning. And then you're, you're preaching to the people. It starts with teaching. It shifts to the proclamation of the text. Now, all preaching does include teaching. That is very true. But preaching has something other than, than just teaching. It, it's something other than just giving a data dump. It's, it's calling the people to behold the majesty and the glory of God and to respond what, with what he is saying. Some of the elements that are involved in true preaching is exhortation, persuasion, confrontation, conviction, correction, consolation, application, motivation, inspiration, affirmation, passion. Preaching is personal. It's not just given generally to, to whoever and we'll look at this later when, when we're looking at the, the sermon preparation, that when you're preaching, you're not preaching to be heard by someone who might listen to your sermon in another state or whatever. You're preaching to people. You're preaching to individuals. You're preaching to your congregation whom you love. And so as you are preaching to your people, you're calling them to respond because you want to see them grow in their faith. But in order to do that and to see them grow in their faith and to grow in their relationship with Christ, you have to give them the God-intended meaning of this passage. This is what God intended when He said it, dear, dear friends. And so, this is what it applies to you. So some of the Greek words that are for expository that are given in the Scripture, and I'll just give you the, uh, the definitions here of some of these words. And like I said, I can send these to you and you can actually look at these Greek words and you can look them up yourself. But it means to teach and instruct with a view of impacting the life and shaping the will. Expository means to open up thoroughly, to open up the sense of the meaning of something. It means to place something before another, placing things side by side. 
to set forth the meaning out of the Scripture, to extract out like a miner. It's to inform. It's to unloose the meaning of a text. That's what expository is, what it means. When we're looking at, at the, the words for preaching, it means to herald, to proclaim, to speak with authority and intensity, to speak with fervency, to speak with urgency. It's anything but casual. The heralds would give the message without negotiating with the people. They would proclaim what Caesar said. And for the believer, we proclaim what the Lord said. It's to announce the good news. It's to bring good tidings. It's to proclaim solemnly as if one's life was hanging in the balance. That every sermon that you preach is, is preached with passion to your people. I would need you to hear this. I need you to understand the meaning of this text, dear friends, because this may be the last time that you hear it. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of, of desiring your people to know the meaning of a, a passage of Scripture, that they grow, that they, that they would be converted if they're unbelieving, that they adhere to what God said. So there's a number of, of different words that are used there of preaching, proclaim, to declare with intensity, to speak openly, boldly, holding nothing back, to give a penetrating witness, to speak into the life of a person through the person, it's to put into the mind. It all begins with the mind. It goes to the heart. It affects the will. We warn of danger. We admonish. We persuade others to believe. We convince by argument. Our goal is to move one to do something. And that's the goal of preaching. And again, all preaching includes teaching. But teaching, when you're teaching something, you're, all, you're, you're wanting to, to give information. But when you're preaching, preaching includes these things, declaring God's truth with intensity and then calling for the verdict. John Calvin, in some of his definitions of expository preaching, Calvin says that expository preaching is the explication of Scripture. It's unfolding its natural and true meaning while making application to the life of the congregation. Preaching is the public exposition of Scripture by the man sent from God, in which God Himself is present in judgment and in grace. J.I. Packer, he says, expository preaching is the true idea of preaching. And the true idea of preaching is that the preacher should become a mouthpiece for his text, opening it up and applying it as a word from God to his hearers, talking only in order that the text itself may speak and be heard. Sinclair Ferguson, he says, the explanation of Scripture forms the dominant feature and the organizing principle of the message. It sees as its fundamental task the explanation of the text in its context, the unfolding of its principles, and only then their application to the world of the hearers. And one more, Martin Lloyd-Jones you can't do something on expository preaching, right, and not quote Lloyd-Jones. He says, expository preaching is not merely an exposition of a verse or a passage or a running commentary on it. What turns it into preaching is that it becomes a message. 
and that it has a distinct form and pattern. Furthermore, it must always be applied and its relevance shown to the contemporary situation. So these are definitions of expository preaching. It's pulling out of the text the God-intended meaning and then taking this God-intended meaning and you're, you're making it applicable to the people to whom you are sitting before or standing before. And you're preaching it to them. You're proclaiming it with intensity and with, with urgency, with passion. And passion is something that we'll talk about. Dr. Lawson says, if it's all exposition and no preaching... It produces a people who are all head and no heart. It's boring. It's stoic. It's a data dump with much information with no transformation. So one of the misunderstandings about expository preaching, it is not just going verse by verse through a passage of Scripture and giving a commentary on the passage. Well, Paul said this, and Paul said this because you know, Paul was going through this of a situation, and he understood them to go through that situation, and so this is why he says this. Verse 2, Paul says this particular thing because of, and you can go on. It's not a running commentary. He goes on to say, if it's all preaching and no exposition, it's all hot air, loud and no life, shallow and superficial. It's all style and no substance. All sizzle and no steak. Dr. Lawson has a way with words. Isn't he? It's theatrics and no theology. The preacher tries to fill the church but not the pulpit. He's being very good at saying nothing. There needs to be a fire in the pulpit, he says. And that fire is produced by having a passion for what you're doing. Having a passion for this particular passage of Scripture. Only expository preaching, he says, addresses the mind, affections, and the will. It instructs the mind, it ignites the heart, and it invites the will. Spurgeon would say the aim of the sermon is the heart. Lawson says wherever the heart goes, the will follows. So when we are talking about expository preaching... We're not talking about you having a certain agenda and then having Scripture as a supporting role to your agenda or your idea. You know, I think it was Paul Washer who says, you know, young man, God doesn't need your clever ideas. He needs you to do what is written. And what is written is the most important thing. More so, more, it's more important than your own ideas. We have a joke at our church uh, with me and Jason especially. It's like, I got a good sermon. I just got to find some text to go with it. But that's not, that's, not, that's not responsible preaching. Preaching, uh, true biblical preaching consists of understanding what God said and what God intended. And then we make application to our hearers. Let me give you an example. So a couple of years ago, um, somebody that I know was talking about another and talking about how they were an expositor. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go, I'll listen to one of their sermons because I, I always enjoy good preaching. Um, and so I went to listen to this particular sermon, and it was a sermon on humility. And it was really anything but expository. 
He began talking about humility, how we need to be humble before God. And then he began to reference certain passages of Scripture that God draws near to the humble and he opposes the proud. That we need to be humble, walking in humility, etc., etc. And he never, he never gave any, any indication as to how you do this. How do, how do you walk humbly before God? It's one thing to hear this, this command given to you. Walk humbly before God, walk humbly before God. Well, how, how does God say to do that in a certain given passage? How, how does that cultivate? How, how, how do you cultivate that in your heart? And I listened to this, and he went on for about an hour and a half, having really nothing to say except be humble and walk in humility. And so I listened to it, and I thought, that was, yes, he gave biblical truth, and this is something to keep in mind, especially with topical sermons is uh, one gentleman had said to me, well, I've heard, you know, some good um, topical sermons, some biblical talk, you know, true biblical sermons that were topical. And, and that's great if biblical truth is being given uh, from the pulpit, if it is a topical sermon, but that doesn't mean that he handled the text in a responsible way. Biblical truth being given, that's wonderful. But we have to handle the Word of God in, in a responsible way. And so... If you have someone who does this, uh, as an example, talking about humility, we need to walk humbly before God, etc., etc. What if, and uh, contrasting that with expository preaching, what if he was to go to Philippians 2? If you want to talk about humility, you want to talk about walking humbly before God, you want to understand how to cultivate that, and especially cultivate that for your people, then you have a passage right here that if you expound this particular passage and give the God-intended meaning of it, then guess what? You're telling your people how to walk humbly before their God and how to cultivate that. The Apostle Paul, as you well know this passage, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. So here's the command. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Be united together and don't look out for your own interest. Look out for the interest of others. But he doesn't stop there. He says... This is how you do it. And he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So now you have, here's the command. And here's how you cultivate that. And then you preach, you're preaching the majesty of Christ. You're, you're speaking to your people about the glory and the splendor of Christ. Who could have kept his place in heaven as far as having all his divine prerogatives. Instead... He emptied himself of those divine prerogatives. He became a servant. 
And he carried out all that was necessary for salvation. If the greatest among us has done this, then how should we be to each other? And so you're raising the affections of your people by what God has said in the passage. And as you raise the affections of your people, because your aim is the heart. And then you're calling them to, to walk in the example of Christ. So that's, that's more of an expository preaching uh, example than doing a topical sermon in which Scripture is just merely taking a supporting role. Dr. Lawson had told us in class a number of times, he said, if you have to preach a topical sermon, do it one time, then go repent. (laughs) And that's what he said. There are things that that are happening in the pulpits today that, that are anything but being true to the text. And that is very unfortunate. And... And not to keep quoting Dr. Lawson, but he was our main teacher. But he says, as the pulpit goes, so goes the church. What comes from here is what's guiding the church and leading the church. So some of the things that you find today, you have these departures. Some of these things you find in the seeker-sensitive movement, where you start with a felt need and then you find a passage of Scripture for it. Uh, there was a church, before we started our church, Shepherd's Rock Bible Church, before we started, and I had resigned from Fountain of Life Bible Church, and then we had a few weeks there before we were going to uh, begin and start our first service, or have our first service. A friend of ours had invited us to a local church, and I don't mind at all to tell you which church it was. I didn't know much about it at the time, but quickly began to understand it was Christ fellowship this is 12 years ago and so we went and we're waiting for it to start and uh, you know the, the band kicks in at the at the right moment and after the band gets done then the the gentleman comes out and he begins to speak about relationships and you look in your bulletin and you have one passage of scripture right there that says something about you know relationships and then he begins to just merely talk about what kind of relationships to enter into. What kind of relationships should you stay away from? And the whole time you're thinking, well, where's, you know, give me, give me something. <laughs> and he just keeps talking about relationships. So I thought, okay, you can't, you can't necessarily judge by one sermon, which you probably could have. <laughs> but we'll go back the next week. So we went back the next week. He was talking about finances. And as he was getting ready to walk out, you had the bass player up there, and the bass player after the band had done went off and whatever, and the bass player is up there, and all of a sudden you hear, I'm like, is that Pink Floyd? Why is he playing Pink Floyd money? And then so he comes in, he begins to talk about finances. And the whole time you're thinking, where, where's, any, where's any magnification of Christ? Where's the exaltation of Christ? There's none of this. Well, that, that's one of the things that occurs. More topical, starts with a felt need, and then to just find Scripture to, to try to justify it or to use as a launch pad. You have motivational speaking. One motivational speaker that uh, probably comes to all of our minds is Mr. Osteen. 
using the scripture out of context to motivate listeners according to his own agenda. You got a cultural commentary, people do that. Pro America, economic deprivation, speaking on social injustices. You have sermons that are more psychological analysis, where it's more like you're a therapist or a counselor. You're addressing disorders or syndromes, complexities, giving insights uh, from behavioral science. You have narrative preaching where there's no propositional truth. There's no one truth that the preacher or the so-called preacher is trying to get across. It's more storytelling and the entire sermon is a narrative. That's all it is. You have a data dump, which is a running commentary on the Bible. It has no form, has no structure. And these, these are things that you see. These are things that you find. And you also have uh, situations in which you have folks that come up and will, in one sense, kind of, and I guess it is kind of boast that uh, they haven't studied for anything. They don't ever study. And they get up here and they, they say, I'm going to let the Lord use me. And the Lord's going to bring to my mind what, what we ought to be going over for the day or whatever. And what ends up happening there is that's not true preaching either. But it's, it's the, the speaker up here who's trying to find anything that he can to say in order to fill up his time. Because he hasn't studied anything. And yet, unfortunately, people think that even... Sermons like that are, are you know, spirit-empowered because he gets excited and he's yelling. And, of course, he's yelling because he has no point. You know, it's like Dr. Lawson says, you know, in my notes or in, in people's notes, it's a wonder that they don't put, you know, weak point yell here. <laughs> you know, i got to have something to do. But there's, there's that kind of preaching that is so prevalent that is very, very common but we want to preach in a way that exalts Christ. And in order to exalt Christ, we have to put the study in. Now, people will say, well, God will bring back to your remembrance and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like Jesus said this to his disciples. Paul says to you, study to show yourself approved. This applies to them. This applies to you. We want to, we want to be exalting God. We want to be exalting Christ to the people. And here's the thing that you have to understand that when you're behind the pulpit and, and you're preaching to your people, that it's, it, it, we're not just emphasizing expository preaching so that you get the context right and you want to get the words right and you want to get out the intended meaning. Yes, you want to do all that, but for the point, the, the point of doing that is this. Here's the reality of preaching. The reality of preaching is that Christ is standing above the man and Christ is preaching to his people. Christ is the worship leader. And so if we are going to be preaching the word of God and we recognize that Christ is the one who is preaching to his sheep, the one that is feeding his sheep, then we should want to get it right. And we should want to preach in a way that is passionate about, about this particular passage of Scripture. That these are the very words of Christ. That if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, as Lawson says, we can't help but be expositors. This is God's word that we are handling here. And 
MacArthur says this. He says, you have no right to put in God's mouth and say what he didn't say or not say what he did say. You have to get it right. And you get it right because we recognize that Christ is standing above. Christ is preaching. Christ is the worship leader. And that's why for Reformed churches, that's why we view the preaching of the Scripture, regardless of who's behind the pulpit, we view the preaching of the Scripture as the climax of our worship time. Not the supporting role to the singing, but as the climax of worship because it's God speaking to His people. And if God is speaking to His people, God had an an intention whenever He moved the writer to write what He did, and so we want to bring that out, and we can confidently then say, Thus says the Lord. Here's what He said. As John Stott says in his book, or you know, Between Two Worlds, and you're probably very familiar with it. But some of the concepts that he refers to there is that the expositor has his hand in the ancient world and that he has his hand in the present world and he's bridging the two. He had an, he had an intention here as to why he wrote it. That same principle is applying now to us in our context. And that's why the scripture has one interpretation and it's our job to figure out what it is. You know, people will say all the time, well, you may interpret it differently than I do. You may have your interpretation, and I have my interpretation. And we can't entertain that sort of thing, because that's not true. And not to quote what others have said a number of times, I'm sure you've heard it, but it doesn't matter what you think it means. It only matters what it does mean. And that's why we have to figure it out. That what we say, we can be confident that God has actually said. And then we preach it to the people. We proclaim it with intensity. We allow it to affect our own hearts first, and then we we give it to our people. And we'll get more into that, but looking at some of the different ways to preach expositionally, there are various ways uh, to do so. One is sequential expositional preaching, and that's where you're preaching through a book. You can... You know, this, this, is, this is one that, that is uh, very important, probably the most common way of, of preaching uh, expositionally is to start chapter 1, verse 1, and work through the book. And this is also a benefit not only to the congregation to see the flow of thought from the very beginning of what the author said at the beginning and see how it all uh, moves along, but it's also a great benefit to you. Because in this kind of preaching, you grow in your preaching because there are some very difficult texts and you can't skip them. You have to deal with them. So you have to put in the time and you have to learn them. So there's sequential preaching. You have thematic exposition. And thematic is where you take a doctrine and you do an entire series or you do a sermon on it. For example, you can... You can do a series on um, systematic theology. You know, a couple of years ago, that's what we did in our church. We went through systematic theology, did an entire series on it. But every passage of Scripture, that, that when you start with uh, systematic theology, you start with the inspiration of the Scripture, you move on to theology proper, talking about uh, God specifically, the doctrine of God, attributes, etc., etc. You're taking certain passages of Scripture and you're expounding that passage of Scripture. And then when you get to the doctrine of Christ, you're taking a certain passage of Scripture. You're expounding that passage of Scripture. So it's not as if you're 
you're preaching in the way that you're reading systematic theology. Systematic theology, you have one particular doctrine, and then you're pulling from all of the Scripture to see what it says about this particular thing. You're not doing that. You're taking one passage of Scripture. You're expounding that passage. You're taking another passage of Scripture. You're expounding that passage maybe the next Sunday. You can do an entire series that way. You can do an entire series on... um, you know, the seven sayings of Christ, or the seven I am statements, or the Beatitudes. You're taking certain sections um, uh, of the Scripture. You can do a historical exposition. Every October 31st, we, we, we're not celebrating Halloween, we're celebrating the Reformation and what God did. Uh, during that time in history that still affects us today. So what were some of the the main doctrines that were emphasized during the Reformation? And we're taking that passage of Scripture and we're expounding that passage of Scripture. You also have what's called polemic exposition. And this is where you're arguing against something. You're exposing the false teachings. Uh, Say, for instance, you wanted to do a series uh, about Jehovah's Witnesses. So what are, the, what are some of the things that they teach? Well, they teach that Christ is a God, not the God, so they deny the, the deity of Christ. They deny the Trinity. They deny hell. They deny, deny sal- salvation by faith. So you can take those particular passages of Scripture that talk about those very things, and you expound it over a series of weeks or however long that you take to do that. So in that sense, you can also look at that as... Topical, expositional preaching. Topical is not a bad word. It's only bad if you ignore the passage of Scripture and you use it as a supporting role. So there are some various ways uh, to preach expositionally. It's no one way to do it. And even, even with the preparation stuff that we're going to be talking about, there's no one way to do it. It's whatever works best for you in the way that you study and the way that you work through a passage of Scripture. But some of the things to keep in mind that when you're preaching is, like MacArthur said, the meaning of the text is the text. Spurgeon says, I will not bring out a matter unless I can put my finger on chapter and verse. Lawson says, revelation, not reason, should lead me into whatever conclusion that I come up with. The pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi, who's gone on to be with the Lord, John Reed Miller. This is something to keep in mind, and we'll talk more about this, but he says that the reading of Scripture should be an event. You know why it's an event? Because with expositional preaching, you're saying, thus says the Lord. And it should be anything but boring. Lawson actually says that if you're going to bore people, you bore them with Shakespeare. You don't bore them with the Scripture. We understand that the Word of God is God-breathed. We recognize that the interpretation of any passage of Scripture should be what the author intended. And that's what we're bringing out. That's what we're going to look at all the implications of what he is saying and why he is saying it and who he's writing to and what's the circumstances going on because I want to have a clear understanding as much as I'm able to 
to see the writer said this because this is what was going on and this is the things that they were having to deal with. And make no mistake, just because it's in the ancient world doesn't mean that it's not going to have any relevance to, the, to today. It's going to have great relevance once you understand what it actually says. So there's some passages of Scripture that I think really bring out some of these things is in Nehemiah chapter 8 that really give an understanding of expository preaching. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is when Ezra reads the law. The people call for the book to be brought out. And so Ezra brings out the book. He stands before the people. And he begins to open it up and preach. And you read this in verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating, which is to declare distinctively, to define, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So it's not as if Ezra is standing there just merely reading the law without saying anything else. Reading the law translating it to give the sense so that the people understand. And that's what you're doing when you're preaching. In Acts chapter 2, we have Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Whenever the Spirit came in the fullest measure upon all believers, the crowd hears what's going on. They hear everyone speaking in tongues, speaking in Language, uh, uh, though it is uh, from their own place. They're hearing it in their own tongue. They're wondering whether or not these people are drunk. So people, uh, Peter comes out first, and the first thing he says is that we're not drunk. It's only the third hour. Here's what's happening. And so he quotes Joel. But then he begins. In verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Here's his text. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for He is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So there's this passage. The passage is about the resurrection. You put Him to death. But here's what David says of Him. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, so uh, raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So you have Peter 
his passage is Psalm 16. He's bringing out of Psalm 16 the, the understanding of it. He's giving it to the people preaching and he's calling them to repentance as it'll go on to show. He's basically saying, David wrote of him. It's not about David. David's dead. But he raised up Jesus. And this is who he's speaking of. So we have some examples even in the scripture of what it is to, to preach expositionally. And so I hope that uh, that does help as far as having an understanding of, of expository preaching. And, and one last thing to say, then we'll take a break, is a lot of guys, uh, and, I, and I, I also thought I had to do this as well as uh, you know, starting out preaching, that I have to give them something that they've never heard before. I've got to give them this wow factor. And I remember my cousin Stephen and I, when we were uh, putting in flooring over at, um, I think it was Indian Path, uh, there was a lady there that uh, we had known since we were very young, and she goes to a particular church in our area, and she had uh, come to say hello to us. She saw us out in the hallway, got to talking about the Lord and all this, and she said, you know, that they've been having revival, and they had this one guy in, and, and his sermon was just so amazing, and and oh my goodness, I wish you could have heard it. And it's like, well, what was it about? And he preached on, he preached on, or he read the text, I should say. He read the text where Elijah had just had his, his great victory over the prophets of Baal. And then he figures, and then he hears about Jezebel wanting to kill him. And so he's depressed. He goes under the tree. He calls for the Lord to kill him. All of this. And the point of his sermon was the kind of tree that Elijah was under. Here's the significance of this tree. Nothing about Elijah, nothing about the 7,000 that hadn't bowed a knee to Baal. It's about the tree. And the significance of the tree. Well, who cares about the tree? What does that have to do with anything? But it's about people wanting to give a wow factor. I need to come up with something that they haven't heard. And dear friends, you're never going to come up with a greater wow factor than just saying, this is what the Lord said. So I hope that that helps at least to define uh, expository preaching. And we'll take a quick break and then we'll, we'll get started with the next one.